Hi everybody, I'm Sharon. I am abstinent today from food addiction and compulsive eating. I'm a grey sheeter and I weigh and measure three meals a day from the grey sheet, the clarified grey sheet. I write my food down, I plan my meals, I write them down, I commit them to my sponsor. I don't eat anything in between my meals, no matter what and protecting my abstinence and planning for my abstinence and preparing for my abstinence and praying for my abstinence is the most important thing I do. It's at the center of my life. It, start, it starts the moment I open my eyes and it's the last thing I say thank you for when I go to bed at night. My abstinence date is the 25th of March 2006 yeah. <laughs> and the only reason I'm still here is because of all of you. Um, I don't do this alone and, um, and I'm very grateful. Grey Sheet has saved my life and uh, this way of life has given me the tools and the ability to be able to have a life. You've taught me how to have relationships um, how to make mistakes and how to make amends, how to admit when I'm wrong, how to ask for help, how to be useful, um, to how, how to be able to be sad, to be afraid, to be angry, to be disappointed, to be, did I say afraid? <laughs> how to be afraid and not eat how to be sad and not eat, how to believe that I was never going to be able to make restitution for any of the harm that I'd caused while in active addiction. And uh, you stood by me, you held my hand, you told me that everything was going to be okay, you allowed me to be angry, to be aggressive, to be defensive, to be prickly, to be so awkward, socially awkward, you let me be, you didn't expel me, you didn't tell me I couldn't come anymore because of my anger and my frustration and my despair. For my restlessness or my discontentedness or my frustration, all of which I can still have and, and do have if I don't practice the principles that are set out in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. My life depends on it. Um, there's a saying here, many of you have said it already this weekend, but I'll say it again. If you want to know why you ate, get abstinent, and, um, and that's where our program of action comes in. Our program of action is set out in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Now the theme for this weekend was living, it's living abstinent. I love this book. I got my first copy um, yesterday and uh, and I, I stayed overnight in uh, in London and I was able to dip dip in and out of this little magical book for anybody who hasn't got it yet I, I highly recommend it and so as the theme was living abstinent I, I you know I started thinking about what I would say and the order in which I'd say it and I didn't want to forget any golden nuggets that I thought I could pass on to you and then I thought actually do you know what my crib sheet is here. So I didn't have to make any notes. I didn't have to try and work something out by myself. And that's kind of the essence of the Grey Sheet recovery program is I didn't have to, I didn't have to define my own abstinence. Bloody hell, I don't know if any of you identify, but I tried doing that most of my life. 
But from as early as I can remember, I, I, first of all, I became aware that my way of eating and the way I behaved was different to the other girls in my class and boys, but you know, was my peers, I ate differently. And so I knew from a young age that there was something wrong and, um, and always felt very ashamed about the way I ate. Um, I stole food from a young age. Um, when I stayed at my grandmother's, I don't know if any of you identify, um, when I stayed at my grandmother's, she was a, a brilliant, she, had, she was a great cook and a great baker. And so the cupboards and, the, and the, the pantry and the fridge and everything was always full of all the things that I'm critically allergic to, but I didn't know it as a child. And I would go and when they weren't looking, I would fill my pockets and fill my bag and, and then feel terribly ashamed that I had behaved so dishonestly with the, the, these beautiful people who you know, essentially saved my life as a child because of my parents were unable to look after me. They were so ill. And so my mother's mother and my mother's father were my primary carer carers and you can imagine you know there they were saving me from the morass of a horrendous alcoholic home life so when I was at granny and grandpa's not only was I being kept safe but I had at my fingertips this incredible drugstore anyway there we are so anyway so talking about a crib sheet I thought I've only got I have this book is is um how many pages long? So it's got this incredible design for living in it, if anybody is wondering how to live abstinent. So there's 125 pages of instruction, of a combined experience, strength and hope of how we live without being in the food. And um, so my eye just fell on a couple of bits with that, within this wonderful contents page. And then I turned to read the experience, strength and hope of you know, our collective experience, strength and hope from around the world. So the things that jumped out for me the most, when I came here, I had um, no idea how to live without being some way anaesthetized. And when I put the food on the scale, I had, had not had a drink or a drug for five and a half years. I was in another 12 step fellowship, um, which had saved my life. But I, I never felt that sort of happy, joyous and free promise that the other 12 steps fellowship said I would be, I should have, because I was, yes, I was working a program to stay clean and sober from drugs and alcohol, but I was still using my drug of choice. So when I got abstinent, um, it was like I was beginning to wake up for the first time. And it, there's, there's this on page 37, it says, GSA recovery and the people in our lives. So when people ask questions about our food plan, and I remember my first sort of family get togethers where I was bringing my scale and I was letting my family know in advance, because you told me to, that I, to find, I was finding out what it is they were preparing. And I was told to prepare my own full backup and bring my own, my, bring a scale bring extra batteries. I always carry two scales. I carry an electronic scale and a mechanical scale in case the electronic scale breaks, etc. Anyway, so when people ask questions about our food plan, you told me the sorts of things I would say when they commented on what I was doing. And while my family were delighted that I was doing this 
I was doing this way of life, this recovery. My sister-in-law, my brother's wife, she, we'd had a conversation on the phone about what I needed. And she, and she, when, when I was there, we were starting to get the meal together. She said, I've roasted your favorite vegetable. And she said, and we just put a little bit of X, Y, and Z on it because surely you can have that kind of sugar. It was a form of sugar that's not on the gray sheet, but she thought because it's not refined white stuff, that this other stuff made by bees was okay to add to the vegetable. <laughs> and sort of little things like that. And I had to say, you know, oh, I said, what a shame. I said, you know, thank you for thinking of me, but I, you know, that's a trigger. I, I can't have it. I'm allergic to it. She said, God, that's awful. You know, there's a sort of, surely you can. And then my mother arrived and my mother, we don't, you know, she'd made this big effort of, of cooking these, what she thought were abstinent baked goods and came into the living room and she was bringing it out on a platter and all the family sitting around and she's offering everybody one of her baked goods. And then she got to me and she went, oh, I'm so sorry. You can't have one of these, can you? <laughs> I was like, how many times have I told you that I'm allergic to X, Y, and Z? And in my early days, I would, I would be angry and quite prickly and aggressive. And I was like, you know, how many times, I didn't say, I was like, how many times do I have to tell you? You know, I can't eat that stuff. And, and why would you do that anyway? Wave it right under my nose. Um, but I've learned, you know, I've learned to be softer and uh, and, um, and and not take people's, you know, attempts at trying to include me, attempts at trying to be kind and trying to understand. When they get it wrong, I ha I know that it's not because they're trying to upset me. Now my addiction, you know, the way I think, if I'm not careful, is I immediately think they're doing that just to tempt me or to try and talk me out of it, etc. We did so. So, I, so when people ask about my food plan, you know, now I can I can share because I've watched you share how you why you do what you do. Um, so de uh, dealing with friends who don't support us, and I thought about that for a minute, and I, I and I thought none of my close friends have not not supported me, if that makes sense. None of them have said, um, "God, Sharon." we think you're crazy, you know, don't, don't do that, which has been a godsend. So what this program has done, though, it has sorted the wheat from the chaff. I don't know if you guys understand what that means. It's kind of, it sorts out who your real friends are and who the sort of fly-by-night acquaintance where the foundation for our relationship was kind of vacuous and, and just subsurf, just a surface level acquaintance so the people that have stayed i've been lucky support me have supported me right from the beginning um only there was only one person who commented that um you know that i that i was undernourished they said you look undernourished <laughs> and we think you should see a nutritionist and who designed that gray sheet like who decided that that was a healthy food plan to follow? Surely they've got it wrong. You know, they must have got it wrong. You need to be eating X, Y, and Z. And I mean, and then and not at any time in my history of that relationship when I was, when I was teetering over 200 pounds and I was suicidal and I was terrified and unhappy, not once did they say, we're worried for your health, Sharon.
It wasn't until I was, anyway, so, so I've learned and I, the beauty of those phone calls, anybody's wondering why we, it's, it's required that you make three outreach calls a day, is that as these unfoldings, as these experiences happened, I could talk to one of you and say, so-and-so said such and such, this is how I felt, or I'm going to visit such and such, this is the, this is the occasion, what do I need to do? And then you, you've all told me what you did in those situations. How to navigate parties. So I had my 40th, I celebrated my 40th birthday um, uh, at one of London's top celebrity restaurants. And the only reason I, I was there for my 40th was because my brother you know, was involved in that business. So, and so all, it was one of those things that I thought, oh, well, will I go there? Won't I go there? I'm not sure. And I remember a gray sheet is saying, American, build your network, build your network, reach out to gray sheeters all over the world. And anyway, she, she told me a story about her going to a, a fancy restaurant where they come to you with little, little pots of vegetables with a little silver cloche on it. And then they, madam, your heritage, whatever's. And I, and I thought, and I knew I, you're going to have to come back with a few more of those portions. But I heard a, a long time abstinent member of Grey Sheet say, you'll always get what you need. Just stay, you know, graceful, ask for help, and, uh, and, and all, will be, all will be well. So navigating parties for me is around finding out, first of all, why am I going to that party? Am I going to seek vicarious pleasure or am I going to celebrate somebody's occasion? Like, is it an occasion? Is the person having the party somebody in my life who I love and respect and want to celebrate with? If the answer is no, red, there's a red flag there as to why I'm going. And my sponsor would say, does it protect your abstinence going? Is it during a mealtime? How, how many hours before? How many hours after? Etc. So, so again, those phone calls are vital. I've been invited to a party next week on Saturday. What should I do? It's a lunch or it's a dinner or it's an afternoon tea. And you know what the miracle was? I can go to things like an afternoon tea and I can just have tea. Imagine mm -hmm. that. I don't have to, and I didn't have to worry about explaining why I wasn't indulging in the, the afternoon tea eating stuff. I can just have tea and have a conversation. I mean, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, who'd have thought? A bit like, you know, when I used to drink, I used to think everybody had to have a drink if everybody was drinking. And if you didn't have a drink, you'd be the odd one out. I'm amazed at how many people actually just don't drink or don't care whether you drink or not. So it's the same with food. Nobody really cares. And the only people that notice that I'm not indulging in the whatever are other compulsive eaters usually, but um, that's, that's their story. Um, yeah. Five, thank you. So, oh, so keeping non living abstinence, so keeping non abstinent food in the house. So, I'm, you know, by the grace of God and the help of Grace Eaters Anonymous, and because I live this way of life, I learned how to have healthy relationships. Imagine that, how to relate to one human being to another, how between us we can. We can negotiate relating and you taught me how to date healthily and you taught me how to get to know somebody so by the grace of god you know i got married in abstinence for the first time and uh and uh, my husband doesn't you know he's not a compulsive overeater so he has things that aren't on the gray sheet and when i do our monthly our weekly shop or our bi-weekly shop i get his things 
um, and I and I prepare things for him. I mean, 90, 95% of the time he eats what I prepare. And if he wants a X, Y, and Z that I don't have, he'll just add it onto his plate. Um, we also eat at different times. My husband does, we, you know, he's got a morning routine and he often doesn't have breakfast until, you know, gone 11. <laughs> and of course, any of you know, I mean, I'm an early starter, you know, I have my meditation and my prayer and my routine because you taught me that was important. And then I have my breakfast and, um, and well, by then I've done my calls and I've spoken to my sponsor and I've spoken to some of you and, I mean, it's just an extraordinary way of life. And then, and then um, and so as I said, my, I'll have my breakfast and I'll be working and I'm working from home a lot at the moment. And my husband will be having his breakfast at 11 o'clock and that's none of my business really, if he wants to do that. And of course, by the time he's finished his breakfast, I'm preparing my lunch and then he doesn't eat. We don't, sometimes we'll eat. He likes to eat at about four o'clock. Sometimes he'll hang on until six and then we'll eat together. But you know, it's just, we found a rhythm with one another, which is just so wonderful. And, you know, his food is his food and my food is my food. And, and we, it's just, you find a rhythm. And again, experience, strength and hope in those outreach calls. There are women in this program. You know, I, I have the, the, been blessed to be a member of four fantastic fellowships that have saved my life. When the food goes on the scale, boy, oh boy, did I need to do some more work. But, you know, it's the gray sheeters where the long-term, solid, healthy relationships exist. If I want to find out how to stay married and how to negotiate this thing called, I call a gray sheet woman, who's in a, most of them are in, you know, the ones I connect with, I know who to call. They're in long-term, long committed, healthy relationships and just wonderful how we get to share with one another. So my husband and I have been together for 10 years. We got married, five, well, five years ago. And uh, I, my sponsor, my gray sheet sponsor was at my wedding and she weighed and measured my food and she brought it to the top table. I mean, what a wonderful thing. And I, I just, it was just, and gray sheeters were at my wedding and, and we danced and we, and we laughed and we cried and we, you know, what a wonderful way of life. So, um, how much time have I got left? Two minutes. So, the, so the other thing was it, the bit that jumped out at me was how we protect this living abstinence, like protecting it. We're always vulnerable to our disease, and the chapter talks about again that the strength of staying connected, like stay connected. Doesn't matter what it is you're saying. If we, if I don't stay connected. I don't want to be on the outskirts looking in. I don't want to, if I don't stay in the middle of the bed and stay with you all and keep doing this thing, my illness is doing push-ups outside. It is waiting for me. It is strong. It is progressive. It is critical. Um, and I don't, I don't want to, you hear people say, it doesn't get any better. It gets worse. And, and, and so I'm, I'm grateful for people's experience, you know, who come, who come back, thank you, uh, Melanie, who come back and, 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 um, and testify of the progressive nature of the illness and that, and that, and that, you know, and that they wish they'd stayed connected. So if you're here, <laughs> stay connected, whatever it takes, no matter what. And so my commitment today to stay abstinent is as, is as, um, 
strong as it was the day I got here. So what's that? 15 years, nine months and 20 something days. But, uh, but I don't I only say that because I've stayed here and told you the truth. You know, in step in step five, where it says we admitted to God, to ourselves and another human being, the exact nature of our think it's our thinking because my thinking leads to my actions. And so I tell you the truth about myself and the, and and I stay committed to the scale. It's just how it works. So um, there's so much more. So there's, like I said, there's 125 pages of living abstinent tips and tips and experience, strength and hope um, that we can refer to. But I'm going to leave it there. Thank you. Paul. Thank you. Thank you.